Great to see you in the house today. Uh, and those of you uh, watching online, it is great to see you all. I'm so accustomed to just talking here over the past year, so I'll have to learn how to talk over here and then back over here as well. So uh, it is great to see you. So many, great to see so many faces here. Um, under those masks, I see those eyes, I recognize those eyes. Uh, so uh, what a joy to be in worship together. It's so much better when this place has people in it, amen? Just so much better to hear our voices and to join in worship and to sing to our Lord. Uh, and which reminds me of just how we are proceeding before I get into our, our message today on Romans 8. Uh, today's the first week of opening up for in-person worship, and by God's grace, this is what we'll be doing again, just uh, indefinitely, just uh, worshiping together. Uh, but uh, in order to do that, we're going to slowly ramp up. We have a very large church uh, and at this point, we're starting with one service, and the hope is that as the months progress, we'll open it up to more, and more folks will come. And so we want to serve everyone watching uh, online, but uh, we usually uh, will limit it to about 100 people in the room, which is about 25% of our normal capacity. Uh, you know, social distancing is maintained and all that there. But for those who want to join for worship every Monday, we are sending a randomized uh, email to various people with in our community. And so on Monday, those of you watching online, you need to pay attention to your emails and because that's how you're getting your invitation. And it's at that point that you can reserve a spot to worship the following Sunday. Uh, and so please, uh, everybody say Monday. <laughs> Monday. Okay, on Monday, check your email on Monday because you might get an invitation. Make sure you bring that yellow ticket and uh, the good old um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory thing here, and you can get in uh, to worship with us. So we'll be doing that for uh, the foreseeable future by God's grace and worshiping together uh, as a community. Uh, the same thing's going to happen. Uh, you can have an opportunity to check in. And children, so uh, parents with children uh, will have the shell room open in a limited way, so you can have your elementary age kids uh, connect in the shell room as well. So just a, a, a note of mention and a reminder for those who have uh, small children who want to join us for worship. Amen. We've been in a series of teachings focusing on Paul's uh, letter to the Romans and focusing on chapter 8. And this is week three of chapter eight in the book of Romans. And uh, we're spending a couple of months on this chapter because it's incredibly rich. There's so much truth, so much theology, so much for our souls that's packed into this one chapter. And so we're going to be spending the, the next few weeks, uh, maybe you know, six or seven more weeks on this chapter. And so you can turn to Romans 8. We're going to be at verse number five. And today we're going to focus on three things in particular, three things in particular. We're going to focus on the, the words that Paul highlights in this chapter, flesh, spirit, and mind. Flesh, spirit, and mind. That's where we're at in Romans 8, uh, verses 5 through 8. And so uh, you can follow on the screen, you can follow uh, in your Bible with me, but Romans chapter 8, hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It, can't, it, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, uh, open our hearts to your spirits. Uh, to your word, and would you speak uh, through me, through the power of your spirit. Give us revelation and illumination, and may the name of Jesus be glorified in this place. We pray these things in Christ's name, and everyone said, amen, amen. I want to ask you a question, a very simple question. This past week, what have you been setting your mind on? This past week, what have you been setting your mind on? And to what degree has what you set your mind on brought you life? To what degree, ha- that, what, the things that you've set your mind on, to what degree has it brought you anxiety? Has it brought you concern? Has it brought you worry? Has it brought you feelings of uh, death, as it were? What have you been setting your mind on? It's an important question because the mind has a way of governing our entire lives. And whatever we set our minds on has a way of controlling us. It was William Blake, the, the poet, who said it in a different way where he said, whatever we behold, we become. Whatever we behold, we become. And that's a terrifying phrase because the things that we often behold do not produce the life of God in us. The things that we behold actually produce other things inside of us. And so the question is, what have you been beholding? What has, have you been setting your mind on? And how are you becoming like it? Now, for some of us this past week, we have been setting our minds maybe on cable news. And cable news has a way of creating feelings of fear and feelings of violence and anger. And so it makes a lot of sense if you've been beholding a lot of cable news that you've been becoming anxious and becoming uh, angry and becoming, as it were, uh, othering other people. You behold, whatever you behold, you become. For some of us, maybe we've been beholding a lot of social media, and social media has a way of creating comparison in us and creating feelings of discontentment in us. And you look at somebody else's house, and you look at somebody else's car, and you look at everyone's highlight reel, and you wonder, why why don't my kids act like that? And all of a sudden, you are becoming discontent. You're becoming someone who's marked by comparison. What are you beholding? What have you set your mind on. And whatever you set your mind on, that's what ultimately controls you. This is what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 8 as we follow his flow of thinking. Now, in the first uh, week of our series, we began focusing on two important words. And so I want to give a little bit of uh, a, a, a recap of where we've been the past two weeks and then move us into verse 5. Paul begins by saying, there is that now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He begins this chapter with those words, no condemnation. They're beautiful words. God looks at you and says, in Christ, no 
condemnation. And we've been exploring that. These, the word no condemnation means a few things. It means that you know what the verdict on you is going to be already. Before a judgment day comes, you know what the verdict on your life is going to be because in Christ there is no condemnation. It means that you don't have to live in fear or uncertainty. It means that God has made up his mind about you already. Amen. God has made up his mind about you. And whether you feel it or not, this is true. Whether you can rationalize it or not, this is true. God has made up his mind about you. And there's nothing you can do to change God's mind about you. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that can change this truth. And whether you feel it or not, it's true. It reminds me, in 2011, there was a New York Times article about a a man from the Bronx named Robert Salzman. Robert Salzman. And after serving a number of years in prison, he was released uh, from his, uh, you know, that, that level of existence and that kind of existence. And one day while he's on the D train, uh, a film director is in the same subway car as he is. And the film director looks at him and says, you know what? This guy looks like he could play a role in my upcoming film. He was looking for an ex-convict, someone to play an ex-convict in his movie. And so he looks at the guy, guy had tattoos on his face, uh, a, a guy who just looked tough. And he said, this guy would be great for my upcoming film. And he approaches this guy, Robert, and says, hey, I'm, uh, I'm putting together a film. Uh, and the, the role I need to, someone to play as an ex-convict, would you like to play this role? And the guy said, that sounds pretty easy. I, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll play the role. And so they are filming at a prison in Long Island. And one day, they're at, as they're filming, Robert takes a nap in one of the jail cells. And when he wakes up from his nap, he wakes up weeping. Because he thinks he's back in jail. And he's so terrified by the idea that he's back in jail, that he's weeping uncontrollably until he realizes, I can just walk right out of this prison. Something has already been declared over me. I can walk out of this prison. And as I thought about his story, I thought about Romans 8, because you might not feel free, but in Christ you are free. You might not feel forgiven, but in Christ you are forgiven. You might not feel saved, but in Christ Jesus, you are saved. And you can walk right out of that prison. Why? Because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Say amen, somebody. Amen. And so Paul, uh, he talks about no condemnation, and then he goes right into the next part of Romans chapter 8, in which he talks about the law. He says that in Christ, in his death, he condemns sin. He strips sin of its condemning power, which means that we have a new status, a new identity, a new standing. And that Christ died not only to fulfill the law for us, but to fulfill the law in us. That to be in Christ means that through the Spirit, we have the ability now to fulfill the requirement of the law, which is love. And the way to fulfill the requirement of the law comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so at this point here, we get to verse 5. He's talked about no condemnation. Christ has condemned sin. It's no longer over you. We can now fulfill the law, the requirement of the law, which is love, through the power of the Spirit. That's verses 1 through 4. Now we get to verse 5. And in verse 5, Paul begins to talk about two different powers that are waging war with each other, the flesh and the Spirit. And so I want to briefly talk about the flesh and the spirit and then talk lastly about the mind. Paul talks about the flesh. Now, he says there's a way of living that we go through the path of the flesh or we move through the path of the spirit. Now, the flesh is, the flesh when Paul talks about is not the soft muscular tissue that covers our skeleton. He's not talking about the flesh in terms of our, our, our cells and our body and our skin. He's not talking about that. When Paul talks about the flesh, he's talking about our fallen, egocentric human nature. Our fallen, egocentric human nature. It's a way of living that's driven by our appetites, driven by ourselves, driven by our own agenda. The prayer of someone in the flesh is, my kingdom come my will be done. Now, when we think about someone who's in the flesh, we often have profiles of people in our minds. We think about someone who uh, might be a drug addict, person in the flesh. We think about someone who might be a, a, a gambler, someone in the flesh. We think about someone who is sexually promiscuous, and we say, that person's in the flesh. But, and those things might describe uh, someone being in the flesh. But I want to tell you something, that you can live your life never taking a drug and still be in the flesh. You can live your life never going to Atlantic City and still be in the flesh. You can live your life never having sex with anyone but still be in the flesh. You can go to church every single Sunday and still be in the flesh. Because the flesh is life governed by our fallen, egocentric human nature. And so Paul basically says that way of life leads to death. That way of life leads to despair. That way of life does not lead to wholeness, lead to love, lead to life. And so he says that is the nature of the flesh. But then he talks about the spirit. To be in the flesh is to be, you know, fallen, egocentric, driven. But then he talks about being in the spirit. What does it mean to be in the spirit? And that's a question most of us wonder. What does it mean to be in the spirit? And I want to tell you something. To be in the spirit doesn't mean you're feeling goosebumps all the time. That's what we think about when we think being in the spirit. I feel the goose. I feel I'm in the spirit right now. No, no, you're feeling good. That's not necessarily being in the spirit. To be in the Spirit is something much deeper than that. And sometimes the goosebumps come. But don't confuse goosebumps with being in the Spirit. Amen, somebody. <laughs> to be in the Spirit is a life of ever-deepening surrender to Jesus Christ. That's the Spirit. That's living in the Spirit. A life of ever-deepening surrender to Jesus Christ. That every single day, I'm opening myself to Jesus a little bit more. Ever. That's what it means to live in the Spirit. And, and to open yourselves to Jesus in that way often doesn't come with goosebumps. 
It often comes with pain. It often comes with difficulty. But Paul says to be in the Spirit is about an ever-deepening surrender to Jesus Christ. Now, here's the challenge before us. There's flesh and there's spirit. In Christ Jesus, we have been moved from the land of the flesh into the land of the Spirit. We've been moved from the home of the flesh to the home of the Spirit. We have a new residence in Christ Jesus. The problem, though, is... Although we have a new residence, a new home, we still have the key to the old home. And we can find our way back in the old home from time to time. And so the challenge is, how do we continue to live in the new home and lose the key to the old home so that you don't get in there? And so this is what Paul is doing. He's setting up flesh and setting up spirit to hold it before us. And he's letting people know to be in Christ Jesus means there's no condemnation, which means your life is not to be dominated by the flesh, but animated by the spirits. And he's trying to get them to order their lives to choose the way of the spirit. Much like Morpheus did uh, in the Matrix, amen, uh, he, he puts together the red pill and the blue pill. And, he, and, and, and what Paul is saying is there's the pill of the flesh and the pill of the spirit, Choose the pill of the Spirit. Why? Because the pill of the Spirit leads to life. The question is, how do we choose and live with the pill of the Spirit? And this is where Paul focuses on the mind. And I want to spend the last 15 minutes talking about the mind. Hear the flow again. No condemnation. Because there's no condemnation... The law can be fulfilled in us. The law is fulfilled in us. How? Through the power of the Spirit. And how is the power of the Spirit activated? By our minds being set on the Spirit. Living in accordance with the Spirit. The question is, what has your attention? What are you setting your mind on? And the more we set our minds on the spirit, the spirit begins to govern our lives. Now, we see this when we understand the new findings with the brain. Science is discovering what theology has known all along. Theology has known all along, and the Bible has known all along, that if you set your mind on something, that's what grows, no matter what it is, good or bad. Whatever you set your mind on grows. We have language for it now in, in, the, in, in the world of science with a phrase called neuroplasticity. 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 A friend of mine named A.J. Show, he wrote a great book that's coming out called Being with God. And, and he writes about neuroplasticity and our relationship with God as it relates to prayer. And this is how he explains it. I think it's very helpful. He says that neuroplasticity is the ability to change your brain structure based on the pathways you create through specific and repetitive actions which create and strengthen neural connections. Which, In other words, your brain gets wired and rewired and strengthened, whether for good or for bad. And neuroplasticity teaches us that whatever we think about most will grow. Whatever we think about most will grow. Uh, we, we see this in social media. 
And social media, the more we tweet, the more we post, the more engaged we are with that, the more tethered we are to it. There's an article that came out that said we, we, we are living the generation that's called generation notification. And generation notification, basically, it says whenever we get a notification on Facebook that we posted something and that little red thing comes up, there's something that happens in our brain. It's like, somebody's thinking about me. Somebody's responding to something that I said. And, and that little red symbol there activates a part in our brain uh, which could, where, where the, the, pl- the pleasure uh, center in the brain. So every time uh, a red, little red thing comes up there, the pleasure center in the brain is activated, which means I want more of that, so, which means I'm going to post more so I can get some feedback there, which is why it's, people would rather have a negative comment than no comment because at least if it's a negative comment, you're thinking about me. I, I, I have not, I, you see me, I, I, I exist And so as a result, the more we post, the more we are connected to it. I was reminded about this when I went on sabbatical a couple of years ago and took four months off of social media. And at first it was very hard because I'm wondering, are people thinking about me? And I would find out when I got back, you know, I wonder, did anyone put something on my wall on Facebook? Like, hey, hey, Pastor Rich, miss you. Hope you're doing well. I would go back. No one put anything on my wall. I was just like, this is terrible. No one was thinking about me at all. But I, was, I, was, I wonder if anyone is thinking about me. But after week two and three, and I'm not posting stuff anymore, and month one and month two and month three, it, it did not have any pull on me any longer. Why? Be- because the more we give ourselves attention to something, the greater it grows, no matter what it is. If it's pornography, the more we watch that, the more it's going to grow. If it's gossip, the more we do that, the more it's going to grow. If it's lying, the more we do that, the more it's going to grow. That's the way of the flesh. But the same principle applies to the way of the Spirit. The more you engage it, the more you need of it. And so, said that way, uh, Romans 8, with a neuroscience kind of uh, translation looks like this, and my friend A.J. Sherlock helps us with this. Those who live or act repetitively in ways that strengthen their neural pathways, according to the flesh, have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live repetitively in ways that strengthen neural pathways, according with the Spirit, set their minds on what the Spirit desires. And so, Paul's invitation is, there's flesh and there's spirit, choose spirit. Why? Because it leads to life. The question is, how do we live in that place? How do we live where our attention and our mindset is so focused on the spirit that we're producing the life of God out of us? And I want to offer to you three habits, three habits so that we are living in the spirit and not living according to the flesh. Live accor- living according to God and not according to our egocentric desires. I, I, I want to offer three habits to cultivate. How do I stay in my new home? The, three habits. The first is this. 
To cultivate life in the Spirit requires repeated acts of contemplative prayer. Repeated acts of contemplative prayer. There are all kinds of prayers out there, and I think we need every kind of prayer to commune with God. But there's a particular kind of prayer that I think we need more and more and more, and it is contemplative prayer. What is contemplative prayer? I'm so glad you asked. Contemplative prayer... Contemplative prayer is very simply you sitting, recognizing you're in the presence of God, and you are not trying to get anything from God. You're, you're putting away your, 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 your laundry list. You're putting away, Lord, I need a new boyfriend, and, 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 and Lord, I need a new job, and, and, and I need a new house, and you're, you're putting that to the side. Not that those things are not good, but we're putting that to the side. Contemplative prayer is the opening of myself to God's presence, and there's something that happens in us when we open ourselves to God's presence and very simply say, your kingdom come, your will be done. That every day, imagine your life for every day, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a day where you're sitting and you're going, Lord, your kingdom come. That's, that's all you want from God. Your will be done. When's the last time you sat down and said, Lord, your kingdom come in me. Your, your, your will be done in me. Sat down just for, for two minutes and did that. When's the last time? Five minutes. That's the invitation. I don't know if we can live in the Spirit without repeated acts of contemplative prayer. And this is what I've discovered in praying like this over many years. The more I do it, the more access the Holy Spirit has in me to have my life lived according to Jesus. I'll give you an example. Just last week, because I knew I'm praying this, preaching on this stuff keeps me accountable. Because I'm like, I got I to gotta practice what I preach here. And, and so I'm sitting one day, Lord, I, I want to open myself to you. I want to live in the Spirit. I, I want to I cultivate contemplative prayer. And so I'm going, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And just silently whispering that over five, ten minutes, and I started noticing the Holy Spirit at work in my soul. And I started noticing this when I was driving. That's one of the big ways you could see if I'm in the flesh or in the spirit. I was driving, and because I had a good day of just, Lord, your kingdom come, my spirit was softened. I was open. I was listening to God. And I got on the cross island expressway, you know, and I'm on the cross island, driving, going um, at a good pace. I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not speeding. Maybe it's seven miles an hour over the the speed limit, but I'm not really speeding. And, 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 and there's a person behind me in the, in the center lane and, and, and that person wants me to drive a little faster. And so they, they flick their lights at me, you know, in the back. And and when they flick their lights at me in the back, when, when, when I'm in the flesh, and someone does that, I slow down. I, I, I just slow, da- I slow down. 
And then when they want to get by me, I just turn to and, and, just, and just stay. I just stay. I just, that's when I'm in the flesh. That's when I'm in the flesh. But, but, this, but, but, but I was in the spirit this time, this morning. And, and the person flicked their lights. And, and instead of me slowing down, you know what I did? I, I lowered the window. I said, no problem. I put my, my, my signal over. I went to the right lane. They passed. And when they passed, I just waited. I blessed them. Lord, bless them. Lord, bless them. Lord, bless them. When I'm in the flesh, I can tell you, I slow down. And then when they pass me, I'm not waving. Uh, <laughs> maybe something else that's happening here. But I'm, but, I, but I'm not waving. Why? Because I've given access to the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, what, what becomes hard for me to do in my own strength, the Holy Spirit begins to do effortlessly through me. And that's what God, God wants us to live to such a place where the things that were hard actually become easy. That to forgive used to be just I'm never going to forgive you. But then you find yourself in the Spirit, and you find yourself forgiving people a lot easier than you used to. Not in the Spirit yet. This is my money. Now you're living in the Spirit. All of a sudden, you're a lot more generous than you used to be. This is living in accordance with the Spirit, and I don't know if you can do this without prayer. And so my hope is that we are cultivating a life with God, not to earn something from God, because we've already received it, no condemnation, but that we are practicing it in such a way where the Spirit has access to our soul. So that's the first thing, through repeated acts of contemplative prayer. But the second habit is, uh, how do we live in the Spirit? Through repeated acts of love, of love. The flesh is oriented around ourselves. The flesh is me-centered. It's my time, my money, my energy, it's me. But the more you live in self-giving love, the more you live in accordance with the Spirit. And so the question this week is, Paul is trying to get us outside of ourselves and in the Spirit. And the Spirit means I'm now living through repeated acts of love. Here's a great question for you right now. Who is the Lord calling you to show concrete acts of love to this week? And the more you exhibit concrete acts of love, the more our minds are set on the Spirit, and the more we actually take on the character of Jesus Christ. But here's the third one I want to give you. So there's concrete acts of contemplative prayer, uh, repeated acts of love, and through repeated acts of confession. I mention this because to be in the Spirit and living in according to the Spirit doesn't mean we're going to live perfectly, but it does mean we'll live honestly. And so every day, to, when we confess our sins every single day, we are aligning ourselves to live in accordance with the Spirit. And so the invitation this week is, no condemnation over you, but that no condemnation is to produce a particular mindset, a mindset that's given to opening ourselves to God in prayer, to repeated acts of love, and to repeated acts of confession. And we do this not to earn the love of God. We do this because we've already received the love of God. We keep our minds on God why? Because God's mind is always on you. We focus on God because God is already focusing on us. And so we don't do this to earn the love of God. 
we do this because we've already received the love of God. And this is a great segue into the table of communion. We come to the table of communion to be reminded that God's love is always first. We love God because God loved us first. We set our minds on God because God has already set his mind on us first. And the communion table reminds us of that. And so I want to lead us into a time of communion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your spirit who forms in us and does in us what we cannot do in our own strength. And Lord, we are now reminded of your grace towards us at this table of communion. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your acceptance. We thank you for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. For those of you watching online, I want to invite you to grab bread and juice or wine, whatever you have at home. I want to give you all a, a moment of confession before the Lord, and then we'll pray a prayer of confession together. Let me invite you to close your eyes. What have you been setting your mind on this past week? And how is the Lord inviting you? to set his, your mind on him. Let me give you about 30 seconds of just your own confession, your own repentance. And then we'll pray a prayer of confession on the screen together. Let's pray this prayer of confession. We have it on the screen. Let's pray it together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word, and deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. The Apostle Paul says these words in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As the people of God, freely forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's all take the bread together.
Paul continues. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. As the people of God, freely forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, let's all receive together. Lord, we thank you for the gifts of bread and the cup, for the forgiveness that's found in your name, for the declaration of no condemnation over our lives, for the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, set, uh, may we set our minds on you, and may we live in accordance to the Spirit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we close our service, first of all, I just want to uh, welcome again and just thank you all for coming. Let's just put our hands together here. It's just what a joy. What a joy to have you in the room, to see your faces. And at the end of our service here, uh, We'll have time to connect outside on the porch. I'll be out there. Uh, would love to connect with you uh, for a little bit. And those of you watching online, I would love to uh, connect with you in coming weeks as well. At the end of the service here, we have a sermon discussion time as we've been doing for uh, the past couple of months. And so you can click on that link. One of our pastors will be leading a 30-minute discussion. So feel free to take advantage of that. In addition to that, for those of you who have never said yes to Jesus Christ, maybe you're watching this and you felt something stirring in your heart. And maybe you're in, your, in this room here and you're sensing something stirring in your heart. And you're saying, I want to say yes to Christ. His mind has been on you since the, since the foundation of the world. His mind has been on you. And you're at a place where you're saying, I want to say yes to his love, yes to his grace, yes to this uh, salvation found in his name. And so on the screen, you can text the phrase, yes to Jesus. One of our pastors will be in touch with you. Uh, we would love to serve you on your journey. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Those of you watching online, uh, wherever you're at, just open your hands towards heaven as I speak words of blessing over you. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online experience in the power of the Holy Spirit, setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. And may the Lord work through you this week and may the Holy Spirit produce the fruit of the Spirit in you this week. May you love well this week. May you seek the face of God this week. And may God work in you to do what you cannot do in your own strength. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.
For those of you in the room here, just take a seat for one second. Pastor Jackie will come up here and give some last-minute instructions.